All right, hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of Dumpster Dive, an exploration of cult cinema. I'm your host, Patrick Markfort, along with my co-host. Yep. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to introduce myself. I'm Jordan. Yes, Jordan uh, is my brother, and we are here to launch this great new podcast where we're going to talk about movies, hopefully, in a new and interesting way. We think so, anyway. Uh, so the name of the podcast, as I mentioned, is Dumpster Dive. Now, Jordan, what's going on with that title? What is a dumpster dive, and what does it have to do with movies? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I need a new co-host. <laughs> no, my initial idea of doing it, because I've been doing it for a long time, is I started doing it because there weren't any video stars left around. Mm-hmm. So I would go to like old used stores that sold used movies, ideally like I don't like half price books sure. or something like that, or and even like a Walmart or yeah, they have like their little dump bins, I guess you mm-hmm. call them, mm-hmm. um, and you just try to find some hidden gem, either that something you've been looking for forever and you just randomly come across it because they their inventory is constantly rotating, or you see something that you've never seen before and you wanted to see and you're like hey four bucks i'll buy that right it's basically the same cost of renting it that's kind of how i treated it i treated it like renting at a video store Mm -hmm. so you just try to find the little hidden gem in the big old dumpster of a store perfect that's my dumpster diving yeah and and you it's all about the thrill of the hunt yes not even the movie particularly yes um, and, and you, as far as I know, sort of originated that, that term dumpster dive, which yeah, is why I'm, I wanted... I'm sure you... I'm not the one that started doing well, it. Well, <laughs> that's why I wanted you to explain it. Okay. Um, but... That's how I started doing it. Probably an activity that's pretty common to, I would think, most people listening to a podcast like this. A lot of shut-ins. <laughs> <laughs> shut-ins and ne'er-do-wells. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're doing here. We're celebrating, in part, it's a celebration of, of, good old physical media which as we all know is something of a dying art form you know it's it's a lot about streaming and digital downloads these days which we're all for mm-hmm. uh but there is definitely something to the thrill of a of the hunt to, yeah. to coming across a physical copy of like you said either a movie that you've been looking for you've heard about or something you've never heard of before and you just come across this bizarre maybe it just has a cool looking cover sure and that can lead you down some pretty interesting paths uh so this uh podcast is going to be both a celebration of the films that we find on our dumpster diving expeditions um and also just a celebration of the whole activity of dumpster diving yes. thrill of the hunt as it were uh so that's the title uh dumpster dive the subtitle of the podcast is an exploration of cult cinema and i feel like we need to try to define what we mean by cult cinema which is a little bit more difficult what kinds of movies are we going to be talking about on this podcast cult movies mm-hmm. that's hard to, to define yeah because I don't even like the term cult movie, or I didn't for a long time. I got a cool book about cult movies, and mm-hmm. it actually kind of not necessarily explains it well, because I feel like people don't, <laughs> people never explain it well. But ideally, it's kind of like the little hidden gem in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. It's like 
a little movie that kind of got forgotten. It could, it, they're usually like lower budget, mid budget movies. They're not something that is number one at the box office necessarily, but they've kind of been forgotten over time. And over time, they've slowly built up like a little cult. Mm-hmm. They've become popular amongst like a little group of people. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much all it is. I always kind of associate it with like genre stuff, like horror and mm-hmm. sci-fi because that's usually what falls into that i category. think it's safe to say that we there's will not be a lot covering, of cult drama movies yeah we will be covering primarily if not exclusively what could be called genre films yeah uh, i kind of use them like interchangeably yeah, almost and i also film. think it's safe to say we came up with the subtitle uh referring to cult movies because we want to cat. We don't want to limit ourselves to say just horror films yes. or just that would be a dumb trash cinema. Um, so the term cult gives us a little bit of leeway to explore different kinds of film. But I always think I think cult of is like something that's important to this is that it's actually like good quality. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not culty because it's bad, which I don't want right. to, you don't want to celebrate bad movies. Right. But it's culty because there's some little quality to it that resonates. Even if maybe the movie on the whole isn't great, there yeah, is an course. intriguing element to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's, we might be able to define what we're talking about by talking about what it isn't. This is not going to be a podcast where we make fun of a bad movie every week we're not out to look for the goofiest stupidest movie and mock it from a position of superiority there's a lot of podcasts like that um that's good podcasts it's cool if that's what you're into that's not quite what we're doing here now because we are attract attracted to bizarre strange material we're definitely going to stumble across some bad movies that's an occupational hazard we're definitely going to be talking about those on the podcast and yeah we might have a laugh or two at their expense that's not our goal um our goal is to really uncover hidden paths hidden gems as you said um of film, um, probably from some unexpected places. Um, we'll definitely be talking about some true cult classics that everyone will have heard of, that many people will have seen. Uh, hopefully we'll introduce you guys to a lot of new material that you may not have come across. Uh, but there is a random element to this. Uh, the, so the format is Jordan and I are going to get together periodically and go through the actual films that he and I have actually found while doing our own individual dumpster dives. Uh, so there's a random element. We're limited to what we are actually able to find out there in the wild, uh, hopefully for a reasonable price. Yeah. You couldn't like plan the podcast and be like, we're going to do it about this episode. Yes. And then if you can't, or this movie and you can't find it, right. then you don't do it. So there's a random element that we're, we're sort of bound to. Um, or lost my train of thought there. <laughs> well, that's all right. Yeah. So, <laughs> what so, should I talk about? No, no, no. So, so that, that's the part you edit out. <laughs> so there, there is a there is a random element to what we're doing. Um, so that's the premise. Uh, we basically select one movie uh, from our collections. Each of us will come in with one. I feel like I have a lot already because I've been doing it for a while now. Mm-hmm. But I hopefully it'll be like something that. 
something that I've recently found, that yeah. I'm recently into, because that's kind of what I want to talk about. But we'll each bring in one, and then we'll just pick of the two, I guess. I mean, we didn't really think about that. Yeah, well, the point is we're going to... Of the two that we each bring in, we'll just pick one of them. We're going to select one movie of the movies that we've found to discuss every week. So we'll have one film uh, for our feature discussion. Uh, And that will be kind of the primary feature of each week's episode. Um, The tentative format of the show is that after our initial review and discussion of the film... We are going to go on a deeper dive, uh, which is the second segment of the show. Um, And this is where we will hopefully have done a little bit of research beforehand into the movie under discussion. And we'll be talking about where this movie came from. How did this movie get made? Why did this movie get made? Who directed this movie? Who starred in this movie? How was this movie received upon initial release? Basically, we're going to... Do a deeper dive. I feel like that'll be easy on my part because Mm -hmm. that's how I usually come to these movies. Mm -hmm. I start with the research and then I I seek it out. You're not always able to find it. Mm -hmm. But that's where it starts for me, so that could be easy. Right. So you'll get discussion of the film. You'll get some behind-the-scenes information, whatever we're able to uncover. Uh, Or what drew us to it in the first place. Sure. And then in our final segment, uh, which we are tentatively calling Beyond the Dive... Uh, that's where we get the chance to have a little bit more of a free-form discussion. Um, we put aside the featured film for the week and discuss anything else movie-related that is on our minds. So, what else have we been watching? What else are we looking forward to watching? What's exciting us? What should people check out? What should people avoid? Anything movie-related that's on our minds. We can even talk about the movie that we didn't pick. Right, and some of the things that we discuss in the... Beyond the Dive segment could be fodder for the feature mm-hmm. presentation in a later episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make sense at all? What it makes sense to what me. That? We've already talked about it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think we have a little bit of an idea what we're doing. And you know, we're gonna the format's gonna revise over the first probably year of the podcast. You know, we're gonna figure Better. out what, <laughs> we're gonna figure out what works, what doesn't work. Um, and, and we're, I'm also okay with it being, um, working towards a definition of cult cinema, right? Like, I think we, we kind of have an idea of what cult cinema is, but the podcast is in part an ongoing conversation about just what makes a movie a cult movie. What, what does that mean anyway? So I'm okay with that being a little, little bit more vague. Uh, but I think once we get into the discussion, um, even of tonight's film, um, people have a little bit better idea of what we're doing. So. Yeah, I feel like as soon as we try to like limit ourselves to like a particular category, then something else interests me. So yeah. I feel like the cult movie is a big enough. Yeah, we definitely uh, didn't want to do like a horror movie podcast per se. Even well, though we already tried that, we have already the problem done, was we have already done a horror movie podcast, um, which people can try to figure out what that was and find it if you want. Um, we, we went off-roading a little bit, though, Derek. Yeah, it, it's we both love horror, and likely we'll be talking about a lot of horror movies on Dumpster Dive. Uh, but we didn't want to limit ourselves to horror. Um, so well, I, I think, think it's like you say, like you're a film fan first. There you go. And then you're a horror fan second. I'm definitely, I feel like I'm more of a horror fan. Mm-hmm. I feel like 
you know more about the non-genre stuff, uh-huh. and I know more about the genre stuff. But I want to like know more about that stuff, and you want to come into this territory. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. So we're we're going to be learning right along with you guys, um, and I think we've picked a pretty good uh, first film uh, to discuss. When are we going to watch that? Uh, oh, gonna, we did it. We're going to watch it right now. Um, so while we go watch this movie. We're going to queue up the trailer for you guys, so take a listen to the trailer for tonight's feature presentation. At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. Stop him! A battle that will finally be fought. I want that hunter down and brought me! Across the face. Police! Nobody move! Of Earth. I think I'm gonna need some backup. Can you show us the way? No! Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the universe, live the adventure. Okay, so we are back, and you guys have just heard the trailer to the Canon Films Masterpiece. Masters of the Universe. Golan Globus. You know it. You love it. We just watched it. And uh, we're going to talk about it right now. Now, uh, unfortunately, one of us is going to have to try to summarize this movie. Jordan, I'll do it if you want me to. It's up to you. Do you want to try to summarize the plot of this movie? You don't want to take the bullet on this one? (laughs) Well, I feel like you even know He-Man more than me. So. I don't know He-Man that much. I'm not... So here's the thing. Like, I know, like, this is going to be on the internet. So I know there's, like, the hardcore He-Man fanboys out there. We I'm going to get... I'm going to probably get a lot wrong. We don't care. I don't know characters. <laughs> Jordan doesn't yeah, care. care. Um, so I'm just going to Because my... you can listen to the most pristine podcast, <laughs> and they will have something wrong. I'm okay, just going to do my... I don't on. know He-Man. I'm just going to do my best to summarize this movie. I don't think you need to apologize for not knowing He-Man. No, I'm... Okay. Or the intricacies of you. Okay. I just want people to know where I'm coming from, man. Okay. Because this movie... Well, when hard. was the last time you saw it? This movie. Okay, yeah, so I did watch... But not this. just now. Yeah, so I, I had seen this movie. Um, I feel like, you know, watching it, you, you remember scenes in a way where you're like, I must have watched this multiple times as a kid. Um, I, it wasn't, like, a favorite favorite as a kid, but I, I definitely, like... like it I was think, there. I think I liked it, and, and I'd seen it more than once. But I probably saw it close to the time that it came out. And I think it was released in 1987, is that yep. correct? Um, keep in mind, on this, the box. Yeah, keep in mind this is one we did not 
actually do any background research on. We will be doing that for the later films. But so yeah, so I would have been like seven, eight, maybe nine, ten. Maybe it was a few years later, years old. I definitely saw it on video. I didn't see it. Yeah, I was going to say you didn't see it. Yeah, no, but I was I was probably let's say somewhere in the eight to ten range. So you would have been somewhere in the six to eight nine range perfect audience (laughs) (laughs) really it probably was yeah um yeah i i had no it was kind of weird but i had no real you know perception of like quality so i was like i was kind of weird movie but i and as a kid i wasn't a fan of he-man generally i didn't it was a big toy yeah it was a big deal like when i was a kid but for whatever reason i was just the kid that i just wasn't really into it so like this movie is probably the most of He-Man I, I had ever experienced as a kid. Yeah. Um, but then I hadn't revisited it for years and years and years and years. Um, so basically until, when you're a kid. Yeah, when I was a kid I saw it, so I had vague memories of it. And um, so we watched it tonight. So, okay, I feel like I got to limber up for this. Um, in a way it's like super simple, but in another way like it's so hard to tell what's going on in this movie. It's like what you said about the origins of the character the cartoon where they just had like it's a real hodgepodge they had yeah they had like a big old bin full of all these parts and they put yeah. them all together and like here make a character out yeah. of it well first of all that we should really say, is what the movie feels so like. first of all we should say this was a jordan find um so this was oh yeah this was from one of your dives um and it actually is part of a pretty wonderful box set you mm-hmm. want to describe this set and where you got it and how much you uh, it's it just for. a collection of a bunch of canon films there's no complete collection of canon films unfortunately this one's pretty great but there's a really good documentary that came out a few years ago called electric boogaloo which is about the amazing history of canon films and that's a great movie so initially i wanted that film because i hadn't seen it but then i saw it was included in this box set with all the movies it, i think it had maybe like 10 movies There's or so. There's at least 10 movies in there. But it's cool more. because it runs like their whole history. So it's, it's, it's not like a group from like one year. Yeah. It goes from like 70s it's, into 90s. It's a wonderful, like I'm, again, I'm assuming a lot of the people who are listening to podcasts like this are probably somewhat familiar with canon films. Uh, this is a great sampler pack. This is like if you want an intro mm-hmm. to can- canon, watch that documentary. And this has got, what What else is on here? Cobra's on here. Cobra, um, Over the Top, Delta Force. It's, I mean, it's got um, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Chuck Norris. A lot of testosterone and glistening biceps. Which Chuck Norris, if I didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. those kind of movies. And right at smack dab in the middle of the set is Master of the Universe. So, yep. All right, so I'm. did you get a good deal on this, by the way? Do you remember? I think you got I this from I don't remember how much it was, but I, I know it just wasn't that much more than buying Electric Boogaloo by there you itself. Go. So that was it. my deal. That's how I do it, folks. Pro, pro diving tip right there. All right. I got to get this out of the way. So let's, uh, let me try to summarize this movie. So <laughs> it starts out uh, with um, pretty pretty nice matte painting of Castle Grayskull, um, which, yeah, Jesus Christ, I don't understand what's going on in this movie. So, like, Ske- Skeletor, is he at Castle Grayskull? <laughs> Isn't he in Eternia? Yeah, so Eternia, I think, is like the planet. Uh, Castle Grayskull is like this source to some vaguely defined ultimate power. The power of the universe. I can feel the He-Man fans just directing their ire towards me. But you guys, work with me here. So, 
Skeletor. So He-Man is from Planet Krypton. Skeletor, played by Frank Langella. Yeah, this is all in like this this other world of Eternia. So Skeletor, I think he's at Castle Grayskull, but he needs to like access some kind of ultimate power, and then God knows what happens. I mean, that's the big problem with this movie, but we'll get into it later. Um, he wants power. He-Man wants to stop him from yeah, getting yeah, power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Skeletor is the bad guy. You've got He-Man played by a glistening uh, Dolph Lundgren, uh, along with Man at Arms, I think is the name of yeah, his kind yeah. of right-hand man, and his daughter, Tila. Um, so they're kind of this warrior resistance group who are going after Skeletor. You guys know, it's He-Man. Um, the, the basic plot of the movie, though, is that this diminutive, kind of dwarfish, Yoda-like character played by Billy Barty, um, what was the character's actual name? I don't think we <laughs> I have no We idea. don't remember his actual name. Uh, we had a funny name for him that we came up with, but we don't need to go into that. But do you want to, do you want to describe the appearance of Billy Barty's character? In this movie? He was just like a little troll, like a gnome or something. No, Jordan, that's not how you described his appearance. Oh, like a ball sack? <laughs> like, <laughs> I believe you said Billy Barty looks like a deflated ball sack in this movie. Yeah, I thought you were trying to dance around. <laughs> no. Okay. We're, we're going right into it. Yeah, it's it. a really ugly design. Yeah. It's it's... Like, why insert this character, new character, I'm assuming? Yeah, I think this it? character was not a part of the He-Man mythos. Because, like, I was big... Vague... a little, like, wizard? So like, that's Orko. Yeah, so I'm, like... So, like, being... Maybe they vague... didn't have the rights to it. I was vaguely familiar enough with the cartoon to be disappointed that Orko was not in it. And they had this... Like dwarfish, gnomish, uh, Billy Barty character, scrotum-looking character, um, as both the comedy relief and also like kind of a crucial element driving the plot because apparently the Billy Barty gnome character has escaped from Skeletor because yeah, because he was being forced to build a device. Um, which would essentially allow Skeletor to transport himself and his troops uh, anywhere he wanted and, and invade yes. areas of Eternia with, with his army. So it was a teleportation device. Uh, so Billy Barty escapes with this device. Uh, he comes across He-Man and his warrior friends, um, and they activate the device to escape from Skeletor uh, once Skeletor's forces track them down. And they use the device, which they call the key, this sci-fi looking dude. The MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. To transport themselves, and this is the real and bizarre hook to the movie, uh, to our world, what was then 1987 present day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it's like some semi-urban... It's a weird concept to launch the franchise with. Bizarre, yeah. It's I mean, it's Star Trek Four. It's it's these fantasy characters that you know from a sci-fi franchise. But this is their first big screen outing. This is like the 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 He-Man movie, and the premise is you take He-Man out of Eternia. It's like a mashup movie. Almost. Yeah. This this is where I'd be very curious to know some behind the scenes stuff. Um, which again. Is the type of research we will have done in later episodes? We'll just um, read Wikipedia. Yeah, that's probably you know. Um, but you know, I'd be curious to know, like, why did they make that decision? Did they just think it was a really great story idea? Maybe people could relate to that a little bit better rather than this other world of Eternia. 
Um, or was it budgetary? I mean, this is Canon Films we're talking about, and perhaps, this is a very ambitious Canon film, um, but perhaps the idea of setting... It's also in, a very budgeted Canon yeah, film. Yeah, perhaps the, the idea of setting an entire film on this other world, all of which would have to be built and imagined essentially from scratch, was a bit more than really Canon's budget can handle. So I'd be really curious to know why this is... So they, like, they just wanted to get around it so they could all fight in a pawn shop? I, I legitimately wonder. I, I uh, would I would really be, be curious. Because that, that to me it's bizarre that that is the premise of the Masters of the Universe movie. Uh, but nevertheless, that is the premise. So they travel to our world where they encounter uh, Courtney Cox. Introducing Courtney Cox in her first uh, film appearance... Um, and she plays... Courtney Cox and a guy that looks like a ball sack. <laughs> yes. <Coincidence? laughs> yes, and an oiled Dolph Lundgren. Um, and a lot of fabulous costumes. Um, a taint. So, yeah, and I'm distracted by taint. Um, <laughs> I can't let's see it. So what Courtney happens Co- once they meet Courtney Cox? Courtney Cox, let me get through this premise here. <laughs> Courtney Cox plays... Um, uh, a, I guess she's a high school student. She's also yeah. working at like a fast food... Uh, place at the beginning. She's quitting that job, um, and she's also grieving. In a bizarre subplot, she's she's grieving the death of her parents, who died in a plane crash, um, some unspecified number of years before. Um, I assume it's pretty recent. Yeah, it must be. She's... And she feels guilt over it because she they were going to go on a trip, and she lied about. Um, having to stay home and study, she wanted to spend time with her boyfriend, who is also a character in the film, played by Robert Duncan McNeil, who played Tom Paris on Star Trek Voyager. I'm a big Star Trek fan, sidebar. Um, so Courtney Cox is, like, grieving the death of her parents. She's got this this boyfriend who's a musician. Um, and they find the transportation device. So I guess when He-Man and his pals teleport to our universe they're separated from this device somehow yeah remember they get sucked into it first and then they shoot the little grappling hook yeah thing that pulls it pull the device in after them now where it got went after that i don't know but yeah, yeah. For, somehow it ended they up in the separated. cemetery where courtney cox is grieving her parents and she and robert duncan mcneil find this little doohickey which looks like a and and a, like kind of like elaborate I thought it looked like an arm cannon. Yeah, it's like an elaborate kind of sci-fi cylinder. Um, And they are just, like, enraptured by this thing. This is, like, the most amazing thing they have ever seen. They don't know that it can teleport people, which that admittedly is astonishing. They're amazed on sight. Yeah, all that they know about this device is that you can press buttons on it, and it makes musical notes, and it has flashing lights. And they are just enthralled by this. This is the most amazing thing they've ever seen. I mean, this is not, it's not, you wouldn't see this and think like, well, this is from another dimension. No. Yeah, it, I think like this came out of Spencer's Gifts. Yeah, they, but they, of course the characters need to be just completely enthrall of this device because that's part of the engine that moves the plot. Like, they need to take this device. It would be funny if they looked at it and they just tossed it in a dumpster yeah. and walked away. So they're, they're convinced that this is some kind of a musical synthesizer. Again, the boyfriend is um, some kind of a musician. He's got um, a band. He's got a band. Um, so they take this device, and eventually, of course... Okay, so here's a big part of the movie I legitimately do not understand. The action scenes? 
it's well we'll get to those in our review but it, it's probably on me i'm sure there was a line of dialogue but i don't so what happens is skeletor sends this goofy band of uh bad guys <laughs> including beast man and a bunch of other hired goons dorks yeah um in goofy looking costumes <laughs> terrible looking costumes he sends them after he-man and they teleport to the real world yeah now you see my confusion skeletor wants this device this device is the MacGuffin. he wants presumably it to do something he, he can already do presumably he wants it so that he can teleport himself and his troops anywhere he wants they are already seemingly able to do this because he sends his troops to the real world so, after he so he's he's teleporting to get to the key that allows him to teleport right so I literally, again, this is probably on me. I literally think there might have been dialogue but that then that would require you have to watch it twice. We're not doing that. I literally, in my mind, I made up like a way that that makes sense because Skeletor has a key too. So like, I think that the key that Skeletor has can only like follow after the other key, but the other key can go anywhere. So okay. he wants the key that can go anywhere. There's a master key. I wrote this part of the movie for them, basically, because it didn't make any sense. So that's so anyway. So Skeletor's bad guys go to Earth, find Courtney Cox and her boyfriend, are chasing her around. He Man comes and saves her. I mean, you can imagine kind of where it goes from here. So there's a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, um, all taking place in in alleyways. There's a lot of shots of characters in clunky, goofy-looking costumes running down. Um, smoke-filled alleys that's a lot of this movie um it is ambitious there's there's a there's a hoverboard uh sequence that just goes on and on and on i mean they were really they were trying you know eventually skeletor comes to earth there's this big final confrontation with he-man they all end up back in eternia and then i really don't know what happens apparently skeletor somehow unlocks this power of gray skull and he gets his All cost, the powers of the universe. His costume gets even more fabulous. <laughs> and, um, but see, like, I don't even really understand. Like, the whole movie was all about, like, I need this teleportation device so I can teleport. I need this teleportation device. He gets the teleportation device, but then at the end he doesn't really use it. He just, I think, uses He-Man's sword yeah. to, like, unlock the power That's of That's like the spell. third MacGuffin. Like, there's too many... At the end, it's just a jumbled mess. You don't on. know what's going on. And, okay, so that's the movie, because I really want to get into, like, what what we thought of this movie. <laughs> what did you think of this movie? Because <laughs> I have a lot to say about it. I think it's fun, but it's definitely not good. It's not a good movie. <laughs> so this is an example of, hey, we came across a bad movie, you yeah. know. And well, that's kind of why <laughs> I didn't have, like, really strong memories of it, but that's why I thought it would be perfect for this particular, like, emblematic of this gimmick that we're trying to do. Right. Of kind of like a little hidden gem. Eh, it's not great. Uh, it's at least fun to watch and look at. It's definitely a cult Don't movie. Don't try to follow the plot. Don't no. try to... You're not going to get stellar acting. Do you really care? Probably not. So, it, it's fun. That's all. That's my Yeah, it's, take it is a fun movie to, to you know have a couple of beers, have some friends over, watch it, have fun with it. Um, so, my main... Well, should, should we talk about... There's a few, like, really big structural problems to the movie. <laughs> so, should we... T let's talk about, like... Do you want to talk about, like, 
what we liked about it or what we didn't like first? Ooh, I have to think of something. I well, I can <laughs> let me throw out a few things that I liked about the movie then. Okay. Um, yeah, give me an idea. There, I know I did like stuff. There isn't. I will admit there isn't much. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it isn't very good, and I always kind of want these movies to be good. I'd love to be the guy. Yeah. Who says, "Hey, you know what's actually good? Take another. Let's let's all rediscover Matt now." Well, the cult, the cult movies are always kind of underdogs. Yeah. Anyway, so, so um, it does have a pretty good cast. Uh, they're not well utilized here, uh, so I can't really put that in the um, positive column. Um, uh, honestly, the one thing I I, I sort of imbo- admire the ambition of the movie because, like I said, there are a lot of like big-ish set pieces. You know, like, I think Canon really... They were using what money they had. Um, You know, I I am thinking, even though it was silly, I am thinking of that that hoverboard sequence. You know, I I don't know that a, a similarly budgeted movie from a different producer would have attempted something like that. But is that more of like a knowing your limits thing? Like maybe they shouldn't have even attempted it because it really didn't look good at all. I agree, like in concept yeah. it's cool, but if you can't do it, you can't do it. <laughs> right, right. Like maybe you should have just thrown well, it Well, that's out. what I'm always wondering. Like is it ambition or to me it felt more like, hey, since this is like later 80s, it's, it felt to me like, this is all stuff we've seen before in movies. Sure. Star Wars and yeah. even a lesser degree like Star Crash. Well, yeah, well, I was going to say we like should that. we should definitely like it to give people a visual here like the aesthetic of this movie is Star Wars by way of Star Crash. And if you don't know what Star Crash is, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Um, it's 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 very 80s. It's it's very cheap, but it's shooting for the moon. So I, I am going to put the ambition of the film in the positive column. The only other uh, thing I can really praise it for, and, and this was inconsistent as well, is some of the costume and production design. Now, it's easy to look at Skeletor and make fun of his mask and make fun of the costumes, but I actually think, like, this is the kind of movie, if you, if you actually made, like, a well-published, well-produced, well-photographed art book... And it wasn't about the plot, it wasn't about the acting, it was just like, look at the production design and the costuming. Um, A lot of it is cool. I like the aesthetic of a lot of it. But then, you know, like to me Skeletor actually is a cool design. And and, and a lot of the costuming is very intricate. Um, But then you've also got characters like Beastman, which looks fucking terrible yeah you should be fighting the power rangers or something exactly um so so that element i i wish i could say was well done throughout it's not uh but there are moments of true artistry here and i did notice oh god i just said there's moments of true artistry in masters <laughs> of the universe zero subscribers that's you know right. what? We mentioned the scrotum head that, guy. That's what we try to do, though. We try to find, like, even the worst movie has something bad, even the best movie I has feel like good. anytime you or I, like, conscious or not, review a movie, like, just to each other, I always try to find that one thing yeah. that, like, worked with it. Well, I did enjoy... it. always something. I did enjoy works. a lot of the production design. I wish that had been as consistent throughout the whole movie. And I did notice um, at the end, like, I think William Stout, uh, who's an, an illustrator who's done a lot of work on fantasy films, 
was a designer on this movie. Um, I know uh, the artist known as Mobius, uh, real name Jean Girard, um, the French cartoonist uh, worked he, on this. What's he famous for? I don't even know that. Well, he, well, he's he's really just a world class uh, comics illustrator. But is he famous for one comic? Not really. Okay. It's kind of like a, a a lifetime. I mean, we're in my library now, so I have uh, one Mobius book right here. Um, he's really just starting to be published again in English, but um, he has a long career. He's a very revered um, illustrator. In a way where you could pick out what he had done. Well, in a way that I wasn't surprised. Like, it kind of okay. made sense to me when I saw his name come up. I mean, I was kind of surprised because, I mean, everyone's kind of slumming it here. But um, I, I also felt sort of validated in that. Like, oh, okay, I bet some of the, like, good, intricate designs are Mobius. If people don't know Mobius, think... He's a Spider-Man villain. No, think think Heavy Metal magazine. Um, it's that aesthetic, uh, but Mobius is like what most of the heavy metal artists are like reaching for. So it's this very European, uh, illustrative, beautiful style. Um, so he worked on this movie. Um, so yeah, some of the production design, some of the costuming, I'm going to say, I'm going to give that aspect of it a thumbs up. Unfortunately, there just really isn't much else to recommend this movie, except yeah, I, on a so bad it's good level. Like, the production value, I feel like, is that... Now, if he's, like, a famous artist, that I get it, and he, but to me it feels like since it's not consistent, it's more just, like, the broken clock is right twice a day. Like, you're going to find some good things in there anyway, because it's... You know, I think it... it Whereas, it, like, I don't want to compare it to Star Wars too much, because Star Wars is... Of course, well, I think that's a Star Wars very fair comparison to make, <laughs> but though, that, because that that's is what it is, and it has its place in society. Yeah. But even that wasn't a super expensive movie to make, but it was, it's still kind of consistent in sure. design. Well, that's that's another... Th so, so, coherency of plot um, is a well, problem. The, the plot... Throw it out the window. Uh, and and you're, you're right. Consistency is a problem. But, the you know, the word we keep coming back to is is hodgepodge. Yeah, you know? it definitely and, is. Like and, and, and every aspect of this movie, from the the plot to the, the quality of the acting to the quality of the production design, there's just so much thrown in there um, that, yeah, you're bound to hit a few targets, uh, mm. but they miss a lot. And the whole thing is a big mess. Um, sometimes it's a beautiful mess, uh, but it's mostly just a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, another big problem with the movie, the action sequences. How would you describe, well, you know, I... you're a big action guy. You're very good on critiquing action. Wow. How would you describe the, the style in which the action sequences were filmed in this movie? Well, when I said like, there's a few big, like structural problems with uh -huh. the movie, that is one of them. That is the major one. Yeah. And it sticks out is... right away. This is an action movie. Yeah. So what do you need to get right, at least? I can forgive the plot for not making it. Sure, right. yeah, it's he-man. I can it's forgive fine. Dolph Lundgren for not being an amazing actor. Right, he only has a few lines in this movie, really. I can forgive a lot of that stuff, but if you you build every moment to the action scene and you cannot tell what the hell is going on, that's a problem. Right. The I mean, the... Way I could describe it is you can't tell where you are. There's no geography. Right. It's just they film as much stuff as they possibly can in the moment and put it all together in a hodgepodge like everything else. 
and they trust that it makes sense to you. There's no like style to it. Right. There's no plotting it out. There's no storyboarding right. it. I mean, if they did storyboard it, they did not. Do no, the there's no tension. That. There's no. There's no moments. There's within no each sense one. of stakes or anything. The music is is just trying its damnedest. The music seemed like it was just like off. Right, like it was but I also think there's. The next moment. I also think there's moments when the score is just like doing Soaring. its damnedest to like try to let you know how you're supposed to be feeling. Like there yeah. were there were these jumbled action sequences, which is just people yelling and sparks and lasers. That the only reason I had any clue as to what was going on was because okay, now the music is like uplifting, so the bad guys are losing the good guys are winning okay now the tones are more somber okay that must mean like the, the good and guys the are music on the ropes stops and skeletor is here now. right it's just it really was a jumbled mess so that was a huge problem yeah i yeah that did not work for me the biggest problem was with the movie was the there was no sense or understanding of what are the stakes? Yeah. Especially in like okay, there's a MacGuffin. That's fine. You there's know, multiple like, MacGuffins. Yeah, stuff. but you know the the main trying to get the key. It's like a lot of movies have the thing. You got to find the thing and get the thing. It's like okay, that's that's fine. But ultimately, like I could not tell you what Skeletor wanted. What was happening at the end of this movie? Like legitimately, someone explained to me. What would have happened if He-Man had lost? What would have happened if Skeletor... Like, what, what happened because of because Skeletor lost? Like, what did they save? What did they accomplish? What did they prevent from happening? What did they cause to happen? It's all very vague. Like, Skeletor gets gold armor, and he's shiny, and it, it all seems very important to Skeletor... But I don't know what the fuck is going on. But then he fights He-Man once he has the quote-unquote power of the universe. And He-Man just and kicks his like, ass. He's like punching him and kicking him and He-Man beats him. And, and at the end they're like, we did it. It's like, well, what did you do? But then he loses the power of the universe and then Skeletor just fights him like he was before. Like, it's like... None of this means anything. <laughs> that and that was my biggest problem. And like now again, I'm sure some of that's on me. I'm not gonna say Jordan and I weren't laughing at parts of this movie. I'm sure we missed like dialogue. It's all the information is probably there, but that's kind of not the point. Like the point is like I need to like as a viewer understand what's going on and feel what's going on on a visceral level. So say show me some of the regular people of Eternia and what their life is like under Skeletor or what their life would be like under Skeletor. Yeah. You know you know what I mean, though? I'm serious. Yeah. Like, there has to be... No, it is, it is funny. Like, it, what is going on? Movies where it seems that the entire universe is at stake and at the same time nothing is at stake. That's how this movie felt. It was just all lights and yelling and bombast and lasers and there was no heart and there was no stakes... And it just was a big jumbled mess. Well, when there's like no stakes and there's no beginning, middle, and end to each <laughs> like action scene, right? Then it's like the, it doesn't it doesn't fit together because it could end at any moment. This yeah, mo this movie could be ten minutes long. This movie could be twenty hours long. Right, they accomplish the same amount of things. It's right, like 
serialized the way they like right. go after one person and they go after another and right and, and he's chasing after this thing and he goes back right after and it. of course the MacGuffin is a MacGuffin of course it doesn't actually matter what it is or yeah. what it does but you need to like create the sense that it matters right mm-hmm. you need to like put enough in your story that your audience feels something or when her mom reappears have it mean something actually oh right that's the other thing this bizarre subplot of courtney cox grieving her parents which they bring up multiple times which is a weird dark element to put in a movie no, like, like it, it's a weird way for them to have died and it's a weird bizarre thing to have her feel guilt for it yeah but but i'm like okay like where are they going with yeah, this? Yeah, clearly like, this like, is here for a reason. Like, this must be, like, building up her character so that she's going to make a decision at some point in the movie, mm-hmm. and because of her past, we can buy her doing this. And all it leads up to, all it leads up to, is the bad guy creates an illusion she of her mother, her dead mother and says, bring me the MacGuffin, and Courtney Cox <laughs> does it, and then the bad guy is like, ha-ha, I'm really the bad guy, and Courtney Cox is astonished, and the audience is not, Which, because it was completely obvious. It really just ends up making Courtney Cox's character look like a complete moron. I was like, what are you doing? That's another thing that I would like, like, like to know like why what were you going for here with this this idea of like because they did so much oh mom you're alive and you need a space MacGuffin (laughs) right I'll be right back they like literally that's what happened they did so much work to lay the groundwork for this it's it's something that they present in the movie over and over again right where it's like clearly this is here for a reason (laughs) And yeah, if that was the reason. That is lame. It's completely lame. And I don't even really want to bring up the ending with what happens with her parents. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand. They I don't even go, want to mention it. They they basically <laughs> just like rewrite the plot, right? Well, I think like they throw out some line of dialogue at the end. So of course the the regular some of the regular humans, Courtney Cox and and stuff, they go to Attorney at the end and witness this big battle between He Man and, and some stay and, and Skeletor and some ways. Oh, yeah, we didn't even get into the cop and all this stuff. But, yeah, like, yeah, um. But yeah, like, Courtney Cox, like, so when the humans go back to Earth, that like, the little scrotum Billy Barty character, he throws out this line about it being able to go through time or something like that. And then... and It might have been nice to know at the beginning. And then, oh yeah, and then she says something when she's going through the portal, which I legitimately could not hear what she was saying. <laughs> and then, like, yeah, so what happens, the, the like, happy and weird semi-morbid twist at the end is that... She goes back, and her parents are still alive. And it seems like she's gone back to the past. Like, like they're about to go on this plane trip. Yes. And she tries that's to... That's why they must have died recently. And she, I, she didn't right, go, like, there 20 you go. years yeah, in the that's past. True. She yeah, went probably, like, yeah. a month or so. Yeah. <clears throat> so, like, she goes back to the past and, like, says, no, no, don't go on this trip. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're going on this trip. And she, she like, takes their, like... Yeah, that's, that was weird. They're, like, whatever they needed. Because the, the dad was flying the plane. Yeah, so I don't like know, the, the keys the or something. The fucking keys to the plane. I don't know. And then she runs out of the house. Yeah. And then she meets her boyfriend. And that's but, the that, end. That is a total cheat, though, too. Because if they're building towards... She felt grief because what was it? She chose her boyfriend? She, yeah, I think... She when, wanted to be with her boyfriend. I think she had, she had lied about... Wanting to stay home and study, they were all going to go on like so, a. I think they were all going to go on a different trip, like not with the plane or something, mm-hmm. and like or take the plane somewhere different. And like she lied and said like, no, I want to stay home and study. She really was with her boyfriend. That's why she blamed herself. So because she did that, her parents took a di- took the plane when they weren't uh, going to, or took a different trip, and that's how they died. So they almost build towards that. 
that was a choice that she made that was like a really seminal moment in her life. Right. She, but and then at the end when they rewrite it, the guy also has gone through this experience. It's yeah. not like his memory is wiped clean. So now she gets her parents back and her boyfriend back. Right, exactly. She didn't have to make any choice at all. Right. It's just kind of like, let's just press the reset button. And right. Let's just pretend this whole thing with her parents and the play didn't happen. Because yeah. we need a happy ending. Yeah, and it's like the the, the all the, the scenes where like she... There, there wasn't like a moral... No, exa- exactly. ...little message. And, and I know it's like, I guess it's a movie for kids. I mean, I don't even really know, but like... Um, well, you could tell they're like aiming for something yeah like that's what that's what i mean like all these scenes like setting you don't up feel grief over your parents dying in a plane crash and mention it over and over again as right. just like a throwaway oh by the way my parents are dead it's yeah and then you get like a, a couple of sci-fi gags to pay it off at the end it's like that's yeah. what you laid all that ground for that's what you even brought up like fucking dead parents and survivors guilt in a he-man movie yeah for these it it really cheapens it. Yeah, I mean, you weird. you can tell that that's what they're going for too. Because why even mention that? The reason she feels guilt is because of the boyfriend. You know, it, they set it up. They set it up that this choice was something important in her life. Yeah, and then they're just like at the end they say eh, it doesn't matter. We'll fix it by magic. Yeah, you know, and everybody has a happy ending. The magical reset button. Yeah. yeah um... Because we need a happy ending and. We didn't do the heavy lifting to get there ourselves, so let's just kind of... This is a magic movie. Magic reset, we're done. Yeah. Happy ending. Bizarre. Yeah, it sucked. Not a, not a good movie. <laughs> no, but I didn't get to say what I liked about it. Uh, I did like oh, Frank Pangella okay. as Skeletor. Well, he was camping it up, for yeah, sure. He I mean, was having... Is, if you like camp, one. I mean, this movie definitely has, has elements And Skeletor camp. looked cool. The design... I thought so, too. The design didn't work when he's, like, speaking. Uh-huh. But if you look at it as just like a design, that's what I'm saying. Character looks yeah, cool. like you can imagine like like the drawing of that. Like yeah. I would like if you just looked at like the drawing in like mm-hmm. a book, like like in all the detail, like you'd be like, that looks fucking great, yeah. you know. So I'm glad it, you thought it might so not too. translate well through right. the makeup, and that's inconsistent too. Sometimes it looks good, sometimes it yep. doesn't. Like if he's underwater, which he is at the end. It might not look as good, or uh-huh. you know, like whatever. Certain lighting makes it look better, oh, yeah. but no, I like. I felt like he was the one having fun at it. Dolph Lundgren yeah. looked confused. Yeah, Courtney Cox was like, "This is my first movie. I'll she just was do okay. whatever." Yeah. She was fine, but nobody like stood out except for him. And right. in a movie like where I thought the all boy, the, the boyfriend on, actually did. He was pretty good. He was fine, but it's like, like there's not a lot for anybody to do. No, in this movie no, it's there's there's a lot of characters. None of them have very much to do. So I like I liked him, and it was enjoyable to kind of watch him on kind of like a campy level. There you go. I, look kind of I, I agree. You know what? I said that none of the performances. I can't say there's any like good story elements to it because they really weren't good at. Yeah, story no. Yeah, I, I I had said it was a good cast, not a lot of great performances. But you're right. The the Franklin Jellicoe. He's if you if you were gonna point to a performance, and that's hard for an actor to do mm-hmm. to pull a performance through all that makeup. You know what I mean? And it's obviously going... And the dialogue, too, which is just thrown in there oh, yeah. just as something to say. What, yeah. Like, he was like, the alpha, the omega. Right. As, like... It's just... What are you t- yeah, right. it's nothing. It means yes. absolutely nothing. Yeah, it really was complete incomprehension. But it was so, the like, community the theater just, right. like... But he was... He was loving he it. He was committed. So, yeah, you're right. You're, I'm glad you pointed him out. Yeah, he's he's worth a mention. But uh, there's not a lot more. Other, other than to just say it's kind of, like, an enjoyable, like... Sort of bad movie. I, did, I can't say I had a bad time watching it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's something I just sit down and watch myself. You it's know? rewatchable. It's just not very like 
rich with a lot of stuff in it. Well, so I think we can agree that this canon box set that you you have. Mm-hmm. And do you know remember what the box set is called exactly? I don't remember. I mean, I think we can agree that this box set is worth grabbing if you see it. Um, but it's like blood bullets and boobs or something like that. Okay. There you it's go. Something weird. Like, yeah. So definitely, if you see this, this, this whole box. It's the set, only canon film collection that exists, so you can find. Grab it. it. Um, but and this is, I think, how we're going to kind of end our reviews if we're ready to wrap up our thoughts on yeah. Demon. Um, when our listeners are out there doing their own dives and uh, they come across, let's say, not the box set, but just on its own, Masters of the Universe, or they, Electric Boogaloo. What's, what's Electric Boogaloo? That's the documentary. Well, yeah, but I'm saying if if our if our fellow divers are out in the wild and they come across just or Masters is, of the Universe, or is this the thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs do down? you recommend they grab that when they can get it, or just swim on by, keep down? I'd say grab it because I think you need to actually. This is one that you should have in your brain. Masters of the Universe, yes. just on its own. You should download that information into your brain. Is there like a price point that you would like be like, I'm not paying that much for Master of the Universe? It would have to be like five or six bucks. Okay. I was even going to go... I, I think that's kind of like the standard price of like a dump bin type okay. thing. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a little it bit... It Blu-ray or DVD too, but... Yeah. I, you know, I'm a little on the fence with this one um, as far as recommending it. You're right as, on the edge of the dumpster. Because it legitimately is not a good movie. Yeah. And, like, we don't, we don't, this is not a celebration of bad movies per se. Yeah. I do think it has enough fun, campy, culty elements um, that it's worth seeing. Um, I think I'm going to, you know, I was going to say 10 and under. I think I'm going to say, if you see this one for. I'm going to say seven and under. Seven dollars and under, go ahead and grab it. Give it a watch. Um, you know, it's fun enough that, you know, you, you might even do a rewatch or two. You know, it's just not in rapid succession. You could probably do some serious <laughs> Yeah, damage. do like we did. Do Take like 20 years. Yeah, every 20 years, visit, invest that seven dollars. That is good to replay that Revisit right there. Masters of the Universe. And there is an after the credit sequence, too, which is all... <laughs> Is they were way ahead of their time. What does he say? I'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> but not. He doesn't say it in that. That I'll be back. back. He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were way ahead of their time on that. Yeah. They don't have a Stan Lee cameo, but they have an after the credit sequence. That so, would have been awesome. So six, seven dollars and under. You guys see this one on a dive? Grab it. I, I would say you don't have to make a point of looking for it. If you come across yes, it, yes, come across it, grab it. Definitely grab that cannon box set though. That's that's definitely worth having because mm-hmm. um, that includes the documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely worth having. Definitely worth having. Um, okay, so I think that um, kind of wraps up our main discussion. So this is the the point where we would probably ordinarily do the deeper dive and give you guys some behind the scenes info. We don't um, know anything. We don't uh, because in this we our you know kind of trial episode we didn't pick the movie before we got together to watch the movie so we didn't have time to do any actual research i really don't know anything about masters of the universe uh movie so we don't really have I watched it and i still don't know anything i could make some stuff up but we're just gonna dive right past that segment 
and go to our final segment, which is Beyond the Dive. So we're we're in deep waters here. Uh, so we're going to put Master of the Universe aside. <laughs> Bit of a relief. Um, I'm kind of exhausted from talking about that. Yeah, movie. there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot and not much going on. <laughs> so we're going to uh, swim on past Master of the Universe, go beyond the dive, and uh, talk about what else have we been watching lately? What else have we been wanting to watch lately? Excited about? Not excited about? What's been going on, Jordan? What have you, what, have you seen anything good lately? Found anything no, good lately? Nothing. Nothing for <laughs> no, our premiere nothing. episode. You have absolutely nothing. <laughs> I have stuff. Just been sitting in your apartment and staring at the wall. Yes. No, I, I don't believe. Sat and I I know you. I don't believe it. There's something on your radar, man. The, I can sense it. The the only thing I can think of that kind of fits into this category is I rewatched The Girl in the Spider's Web. Which okay. is Ed Alvarez's Which you and I, latest movie. Uh, we were, I think, half of the audience yes. for the entirety yes. of its theatrical that's run. What, that's what made me think about <laughs> it during this podcast, because it kind of just, it was a dud. It kind of, in terms in of, terms like, of reception, wise, yep. which doesn't really indicate anything mm-hmm. other than the fact that, like, hopefully Fede will get to make another movie. I'm Fede sure, Alvarez, I'm the sure director, who also yes. directed... Well, he did the, the remake Evil of Dead. Evil Dead, which I think is also, well, kind of an underrated movie. Mm-hmm. And Don't Breathe, which I thought was one of my favorite movies, my favorite horror Great movies movie. of, when did that come out? 2015, that sounds 16, right. that something sounds like right. that? Something like that. So, like, those two films alone, I'm, like, in his camp. So I, that's pretty much the only reason why I wanted to see this one. And there's a great commentary with him and the other guy that wrote it. Uh, Jay Basu, I think his name is. I'm not familiar with him. I only just have heard his name. And it's really good. It reminded me of... Um, what's the Guillermo del Toro one? Crimson Peak? Oh, yeah. Where it's so loaded with everything. Like, every symbolism... Like, everything means something. Every sure. part of the... Because they talk about how they deliberately wanted to make it a fairy tale, basically. Hmm. How it's, like, not supposed to be taking place in the real world. And I thought, what? that's like a really interesting direction to go from, because most people know the other Girl in the Drink Tattoo movies. Straight ahead, serious, David Fincher's one, which was like dark, which is also yeah, very a movie. Yeah, very gritty, realistic. Mm-hmm. This was like fairy tale mixed with kind of James Bond movie. Yeah. I wasn't completely in with it, because it's kind of like Masters of the Universe, where... It felt like there was a, supposed to be a lot at stake, and to me it felt like there wasn't. Okay. I wasn't like drawn into it as much, but like hearing them try to describe what they were going for, it made it some much more interesting. Mm. And the, and there's so much stuff that I missed in it too. I just think it's like a really well done, especially talk about action movies, really amazing oh, yeah. action in Agreed. this movie. Really practical action that they actually did the stuff, which I was like shocked by. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way that they faked that. And I'm like, oh, I guess they didn't. They just went out and shot it. Great. So that is an underrated movie. And hopefully it'll age well. I suspect that it will. Yes. Um, definitely. I, I feel like people's only experience with the girl with the dragon tattoo was so different uh-huh. that I feel like Fede's was just kind of like, 
what is this? Like, yeah. this isn't ours. And I think it also, you know, a lot of times, like, who knows why movies succeed and don't. A lot, uh, yeah, it's a lot of it is timing. timing you know what I mean? competition. It's, you know, girl, the girl with the dragon tattoo just might be a franchise that maybe it was a little too long between movies. Yep. doesn't really have the cachet of a Mission Impossible. Yep. So it just kind of fell through the cracks. Well, I, I will just throw in that, um, like I said, we saw this movie in the theaters. I liked it a lot, too. Um, I remember you told me you read a review of it that said, or maybe I read the review that said, um, it was like kind of a low, lower rent kind of Mission Impossible. And the, the well, you said low rent James Bond. Film. Yeah. And, and the review was meant that as a negative, but, but that is actually what I kind of liked. About I, yeah. The movie. I, in a way I agree with Yeah. That. It definitely was not on the big global mm-hmm. set piece scale that I always think of the Mission Impossible as the gold standard right now in terms of yeah, action yeah, movies. Yeah. Um, it, it, the set pieces were smaller, but they were so well executed. Mm-hmm. And I think it really... And original, too. And to me, it made the case for you don't need Tom Cruise and a multi-million dollar mm-hmm. budget um, to film these, to, to make some really great tense action scenes. Yeah. It's funny because Fed I talked about that too, about mm-hmm. how it, you could make the scene of a helicopter flying between two buildings as exciting as someone running down a hallway. It's essentially the same image well, that you're seeing. And I'm like, not surprised to did. hear him say that at all because yeah. that is that ethos. I just up I think he's, I think he's the real deal. Like Agreed. that's the that's my contribution to this. Not necessarily that movie itself, but. Keep follow, an eye. Follow Fede. Keep, keep an eye on Fede Alvarez. Keep on keeping on. So, the girl in the spider's web. Yep. Uh, it, it is on DVD and Blu-ray now. Yep, it just came out. And I'm sure available for digital download as well. Sure. Which, again, we are not against. <laughs> then you don't get the commentary. Grab that DVD or Blu-ray if you can find it. That's a great one. I love it. Um... I'm going to talk about at least one, and then if you think this hasn't gone too long, I'll mention a second one. I haven't um, been time. <laughs> no, I haven't either. We've we've gone probably long. Okay, it's about right. So go ahead. Okay, so I'll mention. Um, I've been. I have absolutely fallen in love with a series that a lot of people listening to this, I'm sure, have seen. Everyone is probably familiar with uh, the Lone Wolf and Cub films, yes. uh, which somehow. Even though I'm a person who loves cult cinema, and I love Japanese film in particular, I had never seen these I've never seen <laughs> up them. until this point. I'm um, aware of them in name only. But so I got seen. the Criterion box set. So we're going, going a little highbrow on this one, a little bit more expensive. Um, but man. This these, one's not in the dumpster. This one was not in the dumpster. Um, I probably got this. I'm, I know I got this at Barnes & Noble. Uh I did get it during the, the half-off Criterion sale. Um, and there's six films, um, samurai movies, made in the 1970s. And, you know, the thing about these uh, samurai movies, Japanese films from the 60s and 70s, is there's all these very successful samurai franchises, and they all have, like, a thing or, like, a flaw. So, like, Lady Snowblood is... A woman samurai kind of and like a gimmick. Zatoichi is a blind samurai, and there's like a mute samurai, and there's a one-armed swordsman. And Lone Wolf and Cub, of course, is he is a, a Ronin, a, a wandering assassin, and he has a little baby mm-hmm. alongside him that he pushes along in a baby carriage. Um, now, why he's doing this and why he has his son with him is 
uh, part of his complicated origin story, which I won't go into here. But it is a pretty brilliant hook. It gives mm-hmm. a, a definitely a different dimension to these Wouldn't films. Wouldn't that be what you call like high concept? It's a high concept based on a, a manga. Um, and the gentleman who wrote the manga also wrote five of these six films. So it's, among many other things, one of the most faithful comic book adaptations I have ever seen. Um, the real draw for these, I mean, there's, there's a lot to love about these movies, is the highly stylized, ridiculously gory, beautifully filmed violence. So, like, what Kill Bill was going on. This is what Kill Bill... This is what Quentin Tarantino... I mean, he's very directly influenced... That's why I'm surprised I've never seen these. Yeah, exactly. Like, Quentin Tarantino is very directly influenced by Lady Snowblood, Mm -hmm. uh, which is by the same manga creator, um, and is very similar in the the beautiful violence. What's her hook? I think just that she's, like, a woman. Okay. That like guess, that that was like it was good yeah. I don't it, think yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert in 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 really Japanese cinema at okay. all. But that I think that was enough to kind of yeah sell her. Um, she's got a bizarre origin story too. But um, so yeah, like the, these these just it, I guess like it's kind of like Dario Argento. You could say it's just like insane mm. like levels of like blood spurting and people being bisected i mean there's a lot of red on the screen but it is all so artfully and lovingly Mm. crafted um sounds like what samurai jack watched very much yeah exactly and so so these films have obviously been very influential like we've we've seen a lot of films that are influenced by Mm. lone wolf and cub in particular and this genre in general but Man, getting that source material, I mean, you can see why this fired up directors like mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino. I'm, they I are definitely have to 100% worth seeing. I highly recommend this Criterion box set, uh, which includes, as is Criterion's want, a lot of special supplementary features, including Shogun Assassin, which is the Americanized re-edit of the first two films mushed together okay. into one movie. I haven't watched that yet. Is Raven Burr in it? Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely Godzilla King of the Monsters style okay. filmmaking. But like Godzilla King of the Monsters, that was most Americans' introduction. Right. That's what most people knew of Lone Wolf and Cub until these original films became available. So I actually haven't watched that one yet. I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Um, but man, these films are fun. They are so good, so entertaining. So if, like me, these have somehow passed you by... Definitely check out Lone Wolf and Cub. Any way you can get your hands on them is probably great. Um, but if can you I can, borrow them? You can after I watch Shogun Assassin. Yeah, they're really you would like them. Well, you, I hadn't seen them, but you've sold yeah, me. Yeah, you would like them. And Lady Snowblood too, same kind of thing. Awesome. Um, so if we have time, I'll mention one more thing really briefly. Uh, we'll try not to get too deep into this because I know we might have some conflicting thoughts about Go this. Ahead. But I recently saw. So let's leave Japan. And go oh, over. if it's that, I don't know if I remember. Well, that's okay. We're not going to do a deep discussion, okay. but we're going to go to Amsterdam yeah. or somewhere like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, Holland. Holland, and we're going to talk about a movie from a director whose name I think is pronounced Dick Moss, M A A S, called The Lift. Yeah. 
which was remade by Dick Moss as a film called. Which, if, if you Down. know horror movies, you've seen the poster. Yeah, so it's and and I think this is kind of what put this movie on you and I's radar years ago when we mm-hmm. saw the goofy American poster. Yes. So it's about a killer elevator, which they call a lift in other countries, um, which is a goofy premise, mm-hmm. um, but also something you kind of see maybe Stephen King writing a book about and yep. people would take it seriously. Actually, that's why I watched it right after I watched The Mangler, which is Stephen King's other... Which inspired <laughs> Dick Moss to create the list. Oh, really? The That's Mangler funny. specifically. I read an interview with him. Yep. I didn't know that, but... There you go. Yeah, See, I we're learning. We're diving. It's all coming together. The killer... Inanimate, I found... This Halloween, I discovered the killer inanimate objects genre. Love it. Yeah. Well, this is right. I uh, I wasn't too enthralled. I would like. put the lift near the top of that genre. You didn't like it so much. You okay. can give well, what was great. What was great? About so it? like okay. So so first of all, so the lift. So the reason it was on our radar, and a lot of people might know it, is like you know some movies like the the poster is the best thing. Like yes. this, the it's only the American poster that looks like this. It's this goofy airbrush image of this guy's head trapped between two elevator doors yeah. called the lift. So clearly, this is a movie about a killer elevator. The tagline is even better because it is, take the stairs, take the stairs, for the love of God, take the stairs. Which is like brilliantly that funny is fucking and perfect. awesome. Yes. That is awesome. The movie is not as good as the tagline. No. But it's good. Now, here's the thing about the lift. It was not good in the way I expected it to be good. I expected it to be this movie to be goofy. Over the top. Yes. No, it's I not can't bad. believe this. It's played so straight. Mm-hmm. Now, there is something a little grungy, a little funny about it because it's a it's a mid budget movie from Holland from the nineteen eighties. The Netherlands or something. Yeah, from the nineteen eighties. You know, it's dubbed. So it's got this weird quality. It is about a killer elevator. So I'm not saying you can take this one hundred percent seriously, but Dick Moss is serious about making this movie. Um, the story, I think, is actually pretty good. Um, the visual style of the film is surprisingly sophisticated. The way that story information is conveyed is surprisingly sophisticated. And there's actually quite a bit of tension in this movie. The goofy guy with his head stuck in the mm-hmm. elevator that is on that, that a good cover. Scene. That is a good scene. Yeah, that's that's cool. disturbing. Um, so, yeah. There, there, there is something about that I discovered in those genres about the... It's like body horror. Like the, I the definitely, body getting caught in the machine. Well, didn't... When they... When they and, and there's ambiguity here, too. Like, I don't know that I can completely explain what was going on with the lift, but, like, I and you saw it a while ago, so... Yeah. But, like, when he, like, uncovered the, like, control mechanism, and there's all that, like... Yeah, it had, like... Organic material. into something. I mean, you, got, you had to get some Cronenberg vibes from that. Yeah. Yeah, so there's definitely a Cronenberg vibe going on here, mm-hmm. too, which I really enjoyed. So, you know, expectations probably played into how much I enjoyed the lift, because I was expecting one thing of a certain level of quality, and I ended up just being really fascinated by this movie and really impressed with it and um, wanting to see more from Dick Moss. I, so... I recommend the lift. Now we won't do a deep review yeah. critique, but what was your kind of impression? Because you said a while back. Well, I remember what like I said about it is that it kind of re- the problem with having like a stationary thing, mm-hmm. and 
I was kind of I was coming off the mangler, which is worse, which is very bad. Mm-hmm. But it requires the characters to keep doing incredibly like stupid things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can I can't remember specifically. But you were aware of that element. example, but I do remember thinking that because it it was just like why is this guy doing this? Oh, okay. And added to the fact that they're treating it so seriously. Okay. So you can either do it like either way. If it's campy and silly and over the top, like some of the Friday the 13th movies, and the kids act stupid, I give them a pass for that. Like, they're, it makes sense within the context of the movie, but if they're trying to be super serious about it, which I'm not sure if they were, because I, th- I yeah. think a lot get, got lost in translation. Yeah, I, I have I mean, seen like a, like reviews look describe it as having satirical elements, but for me, it was, I didn't, yeah, I didn't see it was it, played pretty straight. Yeah, that, that, I think that was my problem with it, because it was like, they were treating something super serious that it's just, it's not going to, I can't take this seriously. You no know, matter how far you, you push I got to tell you, for me, it worked. Yeah. For me, it worked for the most part. I think if you and I watched it together, I could probably point things out to you that like, maybe you didn't notice we're doing well, and you could probably point things out to me like, oh yeah, that character should not be doing that right yeah. now. But um, my impression was basically pretty positive. So um, I would say this is one to seek out for sure. Um, I actually saw it streaming, but... Um, uh, That's how I saw it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if you want to get your hands on a physical copy, I know that uh, the wonderful uh, Blue Underground label has put it out, I believe, in a combo pack with Dick Moss's own English language remake uh, entitled Down, uh, sometimes called The Shaft, <laughs> um, which I would also be curious to see. Um, don't put, don't edit those words together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are my, my kind of two Beyond the Dive contributions. Okay. Um, so, okay, well, this was, uh, I feel like this is a pretty epic uh, yeah, trial episode. We're going to, this is Shakedown Cruise. You're actually not listening to this because this is uh, not necessarily being done. Really just talking to each other. Yeah, this is not necessarily being done for broadcast, but, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe we'll pull out some little bits and pieces later down the line, some subscribe, subscriber exclusives. We'll see. Um, anyway, I think that uh, wraps it up. The one thing I didn't come up with uh, and that we never came up with for our last podcast was a good closing <laughs> line. I feel like I always kind of wanted that. but uh, I'll be back!